Father God in heaven, thank you uh, for the book of Psalms. Thank you that in it we can read these songs sung um, by your people and we can see the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that um, you would show him to us this morning by your Holy Spirit, that as we read these words, we would see our King. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I would wager that before this morning, most of us won't have heard the name Diocletian. I had to look him up um, online. I, didn't, I hadn't heard of him um, before last week. He was the, the Roman emperor from 284 to 305 AD. And during his reign, he oversaw the bloodiest and most intense persecution of Christians up to that point of history. In fact, he made it his goal to exterminate the name of Jesus Christ from the earth. And he felt pretty good about that. Near the end of his reign, um, he set up two massive pillars in Spain. And um, on the, the pillars, there's the inscription declaring victory over Jesus. The inscription reads this, uh, Diocletian, Jovian, Mamian, Herculeus, Caesarea, Augustini, for having adopted Galerius in the east, for having abolished the superstition of Christ, for having extended the worship of the gods. Throughout history, people have been set against Jesus Christ and his church. And it often seems like they're winning. It often seems like they, they can take their stand and stand strong against, against Jesus. If you read the papers or watch the news, you'll be constantly reminded that the church is falling apart, that the numbers in pews are decreasing, that the church is set to die in the next 50 years. You hear about Christians being persecuted around the globe. We've been praying for them um, this morning. But you never really hear um, of an Amnesty International campaign um, for persecuted Christians. You never really hear it on the agenda of uh, world leaders to make it their, their job to deal with that problem. And if you sort of watch the flow of where things are going in society and culture, you'll notice that it's becoming increasingly more secularized. Things that work from a sort of secular humanist perspective now. And then you come to church and you get guys like me um, standing in the pulpit saying, Christ is victorious. Jesus is the king. You're the winners. But it's, do you feel very victorious as Christians? Do you feel like, like the winners? I often, I often suspect that the Christians probably feel like the losers. Particularly if you work, if you're the only Christian in your a workplace, if you work somewhere that's hostile um, to Christians, particularly if you're the only Christian in your family, and especially Christians feel like losers when it comes to sharing the gospel with friends, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's one of the things that people say to me um, in their, their prayer request when we pray together. People will say, please pray for my evangelism because I've not been doing it enough and I need to do it uh, more or I've been trying with this person and, and no one will believe in the name of, of Jesus Christ. And it seems like it's just not working. 
So this morning, this psalm is going to do uh, two things for us. I'm hoping this will do two things for us. The first is that it's going to reassure the Christians here. It's going to reassure those who follow Jesus that Jesus is the victorious reigning king. And the second thing that I wanted to do is, is to give a loving call to those who don't yet follow Jesus, that the best way is to follow him because standing against him is, is futile. What we're going to see is that no one can stand against Jesus and his kingdom. First point on your sheets there, your little pink sheets, I think they are, um, is that we need to hear God's rebuke. We need to hear God's rebuke. Um, let's have a look at uh, verse 1 of Psalm 2. Hear God's rebuke. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? When I read that initially, it immediately made me think of the gunpowder plot. Do you know that? It's sort of the people conspiring together in the dark pub, getting ready to blow up um, the king. Um, but if you know about the gunpowder um, plot, you'll know that it was all in vain and that every year on the 5th of uh, November, isn't it? The 5th of November, we, we celebrate um, the defeat of that, that plot. I'm, I'm Irish, so you know, I don't know these things. But um, yeah, we celebrate the defeat of that, uh, that plot. But just here, the people are plotting in the same way against God and his king. And it's absolutely perplexing to David, who wrote this psalm, why they would conspire like this when they've got no chance of success. But they proceed anyway, and they come out to take their stand against God. Look at verse 2. The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. It's like an army amassing against God. The most powerful people are opposed um, to God and to his king. Picture of rage and violence and threats being breathed out against God. That's the sentiment of these people. But the, the trouble with these verses is that they can only be applied to, to David and to Israel's history in a very kind of limited way. If you've read um, 1 and 2 Kings or 1 and 2 Samuels or, or Chronicles, um, you'll know that throughout the history of Israel, only a very few times did they ever have nations subject to them. More often than not, Israel were the ones being oppressed. They were the ones under the yoke of some, some king. They were the ones in chains being led away from the promised land. So friends, this psalm, it's, it's ultimately about Jesus. That's what we said at the beginning. It's ultimately about the anointed king um, from verse 2. We read in Acts earlier that it was against Jesus that the kings of the earth took their stand, that Pilate and Herod conspired with the Gentiles and the Pharisees, the leaders of God's people, against Jesus to plot his demise, to put him on the cross and to kill him. But just like in Psalm 2, that was all in vain for, for the enemies of God. Because in killing Christ, in putting him on the cross, they defeated themselves. In killing Christ, well, they cemented the foundation of his kingdom. 
In killing Christ, they showed the folly of being opposed um, to Jesus. Because where's the Roman Empire now? Rome is as a little city now in Italy. There's no empire. Where's the king of Israel? And what about, what about Emperor Diocletian? What happened to him? It's quite amusing that seven years after he erected those pillars declaring his victory over Jesus, Christianity was the official religion of the Roman Empire. And that Augustine, the, um, uh, the emperor, was a Christian himself. So while he, um, uh, Diocletian felt very good about accomplishing his task, really it was all, it was all in vain. Christ's kingdom advanced across the face of the whole earth, and it is still doing that. Now, often I hear someone in a sermon say, yeah, Jesus' church is growing, and I go, yep, okay, that's, that's fine. Um, and I, I don't really believe them because of what I can see kind of in, in, in front of me, you know, and it may be that you're sitting thinking, okay, Ross, go and prove it. So I got some stats um, about the, the growth of Jesus' church. And over the last hundred years, in Europe, there's been a 51% increase in Christianity. Now, you might think, hmm, relatively, that's quite small compared to the, the world's population. Well, in Africa, over the last 15 years, there's been the same increase in population. That tallies up to about 33,000 people a day coming to Christ or being born um, into Christian families. And in China, the church is growing so fast that it's estimated that by 2030, there'll be more Christians in China than there are in America. Jesus' church is growing. And even in St. John's, we're doing our bit. In 2015, we had about 80 regular adults about across both services. Now we've got about 140 regular adults across both services. The church is growing it is vanity and folly to be opposed to Christ. But there are still those who, who rage against God. There are still those who conspire against him, aren't there? Atheism is on, on the rise as well. Um, there are revisionists within the church who want to change the teaching, who want to get rid of Jesus' authentic message as it's uh, revealed in his word. You might remember um, a year ago or, or about two years ago, there was a viral video of Stephen Fry raging against God and saying that he was a stupid and mean-minded God. And uh, loads of people liked this, and they held him up, and they said, yes, Stephen Fry is right. That's the popular opinion of the day, isn't it? The church is growing, but there are still opponents to the church. The popular opinion is that, yeah, God is oppressive. He wants to bind your freedom in chains, so let's throw off those chains. Let's break the fetters. Let's not believe in God. But actually, it's all in vain. It doesn't make a difference. If you've got children, or you have any kind of interaction with children, maybe you've got nieces or nephews, or you work in a school or, or something like that, you've probably experienced a toddler having a tantrum. Now, you've seen my Ben running around earlier. He's the, the little fellow with the ginger hair. And uh, even he has tantrums. I know I'm as surprised as you that a church worker's child can have tantrums. He doesn't just sit reading his Bible and praying all the time, though I would like him um, to do that. No, he has tantrums. And even little Alex, my youngest son, is starting to do that as well. 
But when, when Ben kicks off, when he's, you know, I say, no, you can't have popcorn for breakfast with a fruit shoot to wash it down. And when he starts kicking and screaming and shouting, oh, yeah, I want that, Dad. It changes nothing. I'm not going to give it to him just because he shouts and screams and kicks off. Usually, I just pick him up and hold him up in the air and let him sort of writhe around in the air until he tires himself out. In which case, he just falls into my arms. It's the same for God and for the people who are rebelling against him. They're like Ben. They're like toddlers having tantrums. Because look at how God responds um, to the toddlers raging against him. Look at verse 4 in Psalm 2. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. God's not worried about any of those who are opposed to him. In fact, he doesn't even stand up to respond. He sits on his throne and he scoffs at the toddlers having tantrums um, against him. Well, then, does he stand up and fight? Does he come out um, on the clouds to smite those who are against him? Well, no. Look at at verse 5. He speaks. The Lord speaks rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Essentially, God just says, my king is the king, whether you want him to be or not. It doesn't matter what you do, nothing is going to change that. Now, here's here's how this applies to us. Jesus is the king, even if there are those who don't want him to be. There's this kind of mythical thinking about God that he's a little bit like Tinkerbell. You know Tinkerbell, that you've got to believe in in her and clap your hands so that she'll exist? God is not like that. God is not like Tinkerbell. Jesus will rebuke his enemies in his anger and in his wrath, and he will terrify them. And the way that happens is through the gospel, the good news of the Son. Because to God's enemies, well, the gospel is like the stench of death. Because it calls everyone everywhere to repent and believe, to stop trying to, to grab at God's crown and stuff it on our own heads, but to turn and to Him. But for the Christian, the gospel is the aroma of life. That news that Jesus is Lord, that he rules everywhere in spite of opposition, that is warming to the heart. That makes you want to stand up tall, doesn't it? That Jesus is your king and that nobody can oppose him. But there are still those who who are opposed to him. There are those who, who haven't believed in him. So the next point on your sheets is that they need to listen to the proclamation. Before the start of the Second World War, um, the British government did all it could to reach peace diplomatically. You, you'll remember from your history lessons in school uh, Neville Chamberlain's policy of appeasement. But even he admitted that Hitler would not have peace. No matter how much they conceded, how much ground was conceded to them, how many concessions were made, Hitler would not have peace. And in his famous declaration of war speech, 
Chamberlain notes how one last offer of peace was made. How the, the British envoys handed a, a final note to the Germans saying that unless they heard by 11 o'clock that Germany had withdrawn their troops from Poland, that there would be war. And they received no such undertaking. The offer of peace was declined. Peace is always offered before war is declared. That's what's happening in, in verse uh, 7 to 9. Look at verse 7 with me. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you're my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. God has decreed, he has set out that his son is the king. And that's a decree which for David and for, for Israel would bring blessing to the nations just as God had promised to Abraham back in Genesis. The offer of peace with the nations as they come to acknowledge God's king. Picture um, Solomon, David's son, on the throne and the nations all coming in to acknowledge him and receiving the blessing um, that came from that. But these words are also used of Jesus at his baptism. When he was baptized, God said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the decreed son of God who will bring blessing to the nations. And now that proclamation of, of that news is going out um, to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. Like we heard earlier, we all said it together, didn't we? Jesus commissioning um, his apostles, sending out the messengers of the king to go and take this offer of peace that they can come in and be blessed um, by him, that they don't have to be at war with him anymore. That prayer in Acts um, that we read, we had in our second Bible reading, that was the, the, the church, the early church praying. And they, they prayed that the word of God, the proclamation of God's king would continue to spread and would continue to grow the church. But if the enemies won't have it, then war is still proclaimed. God has also decreed that Christ will return. Yes, he's, he's claiming the nations now as the gospel goes out and as people believe in Jesus, but he will return. And when he does, the time to respond to the good news will be over because then he'll come to wage war against those who have plotted against him. Look at verse nine again. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. That is language which is picked up in Revelation to talk about what the coming Christ will do. He comes to claim his possession from the nations and to put their rebellion down. Now it may be that you've come here this morning feeling like a loser as a follower of Jesus Christ. It may be that you feel hard-pressed on every side. It may be that you feel like you're in a situation that is just unassailable, that God's enemies are winning. Well, this is the news for you because God is more powerful than his enemies. Christ is sitting on his throne, ruling from heaven. His kingdom is advancing and it will not stop. 
though it might look like God's enemies are strong, in reality, they are like toddlers having tantrums. So take heart, sisters and brothers, because God is laughing at your enemies. He has decreed that there will be a time when their opposition to him will come to an end as his son returns and dashes them to pieces. Those who would have you stop believing in Jesus, God laughs at them. Those who would hurt you or oppose you for your faith in Christ, well, God scorns them in his wrath. Those who would extinguish the name of Christ from the earth will be shattered like pottery. I don't think Diocletian's pillars are even standing in Spain anymore. So that means that the wise thing to do now is to honor the sun. That's the last point on your sheets. We must honor um, the sun. The psalm ends with some advice um, for those who, who have been conspiring against the king at the beginning, those who plotted um, together. You notice it's the kings and the nations who plot, and now he speaks directly um, to the kings and the, the rulers of the earth. But look at verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Instead of standing against the Lord's king, the wise thing to do is to kneel before him, because his wrath is real. He will come to judge, and destruction awaits his enemies. See, people tend to think of God as as the tyrant king, the one who chains his people in fetters, but that's not what he's like. Those people don't really know what the king is like. His, his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Blessing is found in him. Look at verse 12 again, right at the end. Blessed are all who take their refuge in him. Here's a, a word of application for those who are not following Christ yet. It may be that you, you're here for the first time and you're just looking in on Christian things. And maybe you've been here for a long time and you're still putting up barriers to why you, you shouldn't believe in Jesus. Well, the King is offering you peace. The time to repent and believe is now. Accept Jesus Christ as the king and honor him rightly because that is the wise thing to do. That's where blessing is found. It's time to stop fighting the unwinnable war. It's time to stop raging against the king to accept the offer of peace. It's time to kiss the son, Jesus Christ, the Lord's anointed king, and find blessing and refuge in him. When I did my uh, Duke of Ed Gold Award, which wasn't that long ago, Pathfinders, I'll have you know, they, they all think that I'm massively old and that this, I'm too old to, to be cool, but uh, it wasn't that long ago. I did my expedition in the, uh, the Mourne Mountains in County Down in Northern Ireland, the Kingdom of Mourne. It's a beautiful country if you've ever been or you've, you're planning a holiday. But on the first day when we set out for our expedition, the sun was unbearably hot. It was uncharacteristic of Northern Irish weather. 
It was 11 and a half hours of walking in the blistering heat. And when we arrived at our campsite, we found that the river that was supposed to supply us with water had dried up. The next day, we all we got up feeling a bit sorry for ourselves. And there was a storm, which we were much more used to in Northern Ireland. There was wind and there was driving rain and there was thunder and there was lightning. And eventually we decided we've, we've just got to give up. We've got to go home. One of our, our party members had gotten sick. We had to carry her bag. We had to carry her. It, it just wasn't working for us. So we, we contacted the teachers. We met up with them. And we got on the bus and uh, we, we went home. When I got back to my, my house, I had a cold drink of water. And I had a hot shower. And it was amazing. It was one of the best experiences of my life. And friends, that is what it's like coming to the Lord Jesus. That's what it's like to find blessing in him. It's like drinking a crisp, cool drink of water after being stranded in the desert for days. It's like having a nice hot shower or a bath if you're a bath person after being caught in the storm. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Brothers and sisters, you are safe in Jesus. In fact, more than that, you are victorious in Jesus because he is the anointed king. He is the one who rules the earth with justice and will come back to claim his inheritance. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we praise you that blessing is found in no other place than your anointed King Jesus. We thank you that in him we have refuge, that in him we are victorious, that in him we can have confidence against those who conspire and plot against you and against your church. Father, we ask that, that Christ's kingdom would continue to grow, that it would continue to extend across the face of the earth. We pray for those who are being oppressed and, and persecuted for their faith in Christ. Please help them to stand strong against it in their faith. And we ask, Lord, that if there's any here who have yet to accept the offer of peace from the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would do so, Lord that they would bow the knee to him and kiss the son for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom and his glory. Amen.